You're listening to Standing Before the Mast podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. My guest for this episode is Anna Vanderwall. Anna is a world-renowned marine photographer based in Newport, Rhode Island, where he also has a gallery that features his work. His photography has appeared in most of the top sailing magazines, boat brochures, and the Patagonia catalog. Anna is a member of the exclusive Canon Explorers of Light program, which is home to some of the most influential photographers in the world. He was born in Holland and grew up in Cape Town, South Africa, where he worked on commercial fishing boats. Also an active sailor, he was able to secure a crew position on a winning Whitbread boat. With over 32 years of traveling the world with his camera, Anna has amassed a digital archive of over 3 million images. He successfully navigated the transition from film to digital with a calculated approach. He's not only passionate about his craft, but he's a teacher and mentor to those who would like to enter the world of photography through his workshops. We talk about all of this and more, and I'm really thrilled that he took the time to meet with me. You can learn more about Anna on his website, vanderwall.com. That's V-A-N-D-E-R-W-A-L.com. From there, you can connect with his social media accounts and learn about his gallery located on Bannister's Wharf in Newport, Rhode Island. I hope you enjoy. Well, thanks for joining me, Anna. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice to be here. I'm here with Anna Vanderwall. He's a marine photographer. Um, how did you get started in this? I started sailing, well, I, I sailed my whole life. I sailed professionally. And the turning point in answering your question was we were at anchor in Marblehead, Massachusetts, on a boat that we were training for the Whitbread Round the World race on a boat called Flyer. And I was on board working away, and I heard a knock on the hull. And I went over, the, and I looked over the side, and there was four guys in suits in a little row, rowing boat. And I said, what are you guys doing in a little rowing boat, you know? And they said, we are the publishers of Sail Magazine, and we'd like to see your boat. And the boat was already famous. It hadn't even done a race yet. And I said, sure. So I showed them around and gave them sort of the whole dog and pony show. And at the end of the, the show, I said, would you mind taking a look at what I've done? And I was shooting slides, and they were all in sleeves. And they, they held the sleeves up to the light outside and said, geez, this is interesting stuff. I'd been up the rig, up the end of the pole. He says, can we take these with us? And the next day they called back and they said, we want you to shoot for us in the Round the World Race for Sail Magazine. So that's how I started. Wow. Yeah, that was in 1981. And they knew you at that point? No, they, they didn't, didn't know who I was. They oh. just knew the boat. Right. But I was the engineer on the boat. I was the bowman. And at that point, I just dabbled with some photography for myself, for my mm -hmm. slideshows at home. To show my parents. So it wasn't something that you had a camera as a child? Oh, or no. Nothing? No, nothing no, like that. No, I mean, you know, for my travels, I'd taken pictures, but nothing had ever been published. You know, and I mm -hmm. thought I did a decent job with it, but I never thought I had some potential. And what sort of equipment did you take on that first trip? Um, on that particular trip, I had Olympus OM-1, just a regular SLR with two lenses. Very simple kit, but mm -hmm. good, good lenses. And I shot Kodachrome. Mm -hmm. You know, in those days, that was the thing to shoot. But that's where, it, from there, it just it just took off, and, you know. And that was the on that trip was the famous photo for sale, that wound up on Sail Magazine's cover. That was later on. Later on, because uh, with that boat, we I joined the boat in the yard. We built it in Holland. We sailed across the Atlantic, and went to Marblehead to do sail trials and all that stuff because we had hood sails. And then we sailed across the Atlantic back again, 
And then we started the Round the World race. And my first cover with them was shot between Cape Town and New Zealand. So. And that was the 81, 82 Whitbread? Correct. Right. Yeah. And the boat was... Flyer. Flyer. Right? Yeah. Okay. So it was a Dutch boat, 76-foot sloop, mm-hmm. built in Holland. And it was the owner's second boat. And he had won the previous race in 77, 78, Whitbread, with a 65-footer on a handicap. And he said, I'm going to go back and do it again, but then I want to win line honors mm. and handicap. So he wanted to do the double. And he did? He did. Right. Yeah. And it was at that point you decided to become an entrepreneur and run your own business? Um, no, far from it. Um, in 81, we started the race. And, and, you know, it was funny because we would get inundated by press and photographers. And I just looked at these low lifes, you know, and I thought, <laughs> you know, they were like always trying to get on the boat. And, and I was like, oh, my God. And I was always like, just wait, hold on. The owner's not even here, you know. Any so they case. were like sailing press at that point? Yeah, yeah. oh, lots, because the boat was well known. Right. So anytime we hit a dock somewhere, we're just like, you Any know. Any spies, just, perhaps? I don't no, think no. so. Not in those days. And then when I did the whole round the world race, I mean, I got a lot of pictures published and it really, the opportunity was there, but I also had a lot of opportunities to do more racing because mm. now I'd stepped off a boat that had just won the Whitbread race. So from 82 until 87, I kept sailing for another five years. Wow. I kept sailing and doing stuff, you know, and just enjoying the Grand Prix scene. And I'd come here several times through on the summers. But in 87, when I lived here, that's when I started, okay, I'm going to start my own business. Yes, now. Were there a lot of folks doing that sort of thing? Or we, no. We, you looked at the landscape and said, there's an opportunity. It was interesting in that when I was here just sailing around and doing things, I found a guy by the name of Jim Adams, and he was a local guy, older man. Oh, yeah. And he had a boat called Photo One. And he, um, I, people said, go with him. He'll take you out to go and shoot a little bit. So when I had some time off from my sailing job, I'd go with him. And he watched me work, and we became friends. And he said, oh, you can just ride me with me whenever. And he says, you know something? I see how you're doing things. If you tackle this right and, and you apply you know, yourself, you could own this market, you know. And, um, so he clued you in. To he the clued, yeah, he yeah. clued me in, and he said, "You know, there's people doing it, but they're not really dialed in." And there was really, let me th- see here in in Newport, there were only one, two, three people that lived here that did it in a sort of, you know. And then there's a couple people in Connecticut, and and that was really it. Mm. You know, I mean, I could count the top sailing photographers in the U.S. in one hand. How many years have you been here in Newport? Or based out of Newport, I should say. I have been based here since 1985. 85, right. So it's been 30, whatever, 35, Mm. 34 years. And when did you, how far down into that did you open your gallery? So I moved here in 85. I started my business in 87. And then we started the gallery in 92, 3, something. So it's been 17 years that we've had the gallery. And then I had an office... My longest spell as a photographer here and not having a gallery was my office on God Island. Mm-hmm. I loved being there. That was really great. I was above the fuel dock and I looked this way. All know? right. And then when we opened the gallery, my, my wife said after a year or so, she says, it's crazy. You're sitting over there. People walk into the gallery to meet you and you're not here. So we ended up moving. Over moving here. over here. Yeah. So. so you were born in Holland. Yeah. But you grew up in Cape Town. Correct. Um, and you're a U.S. citizen. I am. Yeah. Yeah. 
So when you travel, do you have a journalism? Are you considered a journalist or do you use different passports? For um, I have two passports. I have yeah. a Dutch passport and an American passport. And obviously when I'm moving around Europe and the UK, well, still the UK, right. that's going to change. Too bad. Um, but, you know, moving around Europe, um, I travel on my Dutch passport, you do. of okay. course. And yeah. then I can work there and live there and do whatever I like, if I so desire. But, and then when I come back to the U.S., I, I, tr- I come in on my U.S. passport. How have you found, uh, obviously, technology's changed a, a lot yeah. since your little Olympus. Yeah. Uh, and do you have particular equipment that you like, that you stick with? That you, uh... So um, when I started shooting in the round-the-world race, I used Olympus. And as soon as um, the magazine gave me the nod, I went to the boss and I said, what do you think? Is it okay if I shoot more? He says, oh, yeah, I love it. What do you need? So he gave me another camera body and my dad bought me another lens. And and I stuck with that system right up until I started shooting full time. Mm-hmm. And then Olympus heard I was going full time and they threw the catalog at me, the brochure, and said, whatever you like. Wow. So, you know, lots of stuff arrived. And from 87 until 90, so for three years, I worked hard at shooting with Olympus and promoted their gear, and they used my equipment. But then, in 1990, Canon came out with autofocus, and that made a whole new change to the world of sports photography, much quicker. And I ended up switching over to Canon Mm. and sold all my Canon stuff. I mean, my my Olympus stuff. That was the end of uh, Olympus. And I had to buy all the Canon stuff, you know. So that was an expensive change. But... Then for 10 years or a little longer, I, I shot with Canon, but try to get involved with Canon. Every time I went mm-hmm. to New York to the big trade show, um, I talked to the Canon guy, and he'd always give me a curt little, hey, how's it going? I know you're there, and see you later. I don't have time yeah. for you. But one day he called me, and he says, I want to talk, and that was the beginning. So now I've been um, part of the Canon Explorers of Light. Right. I saw that on your yeah. website. What is that? So that's an exclusive group of guys that Canon sponsors. There are 42 people in mm-hmm. the group. And it's all different, um, you know, disciplines. Like I'm their boating photographer. There's a couple of football guys as wedding photographers. Ah, right. So they, they, they cover the whole field. So when it comes to advertising, you know, pictures for cameras or lecturing or teaching or whatever, they can pick on all these different guys. Mm. And whenever there's something outdoorsy that they need to show how rugged their cameras are, they, they like to show the sailing aspect of it. So. so when you first approached them and they were a bit standoffish, was that sailing or boating wasn't on their radar? Not really. No, no, they, just... no they just sort of must... Must must have been and are still inundated by people who would oh, love to be sponsored. But I just sort of persevered. Yeah. And every year I just got the two-minute flick and goodbye and see you later. But uh, obviously I'd made an impression because when he said we need to show some imagery where really rugged conditions, and he said we don't want to use the Iran-Iraq war because it's just too political, and I figured, ah, oh, let's look at oh, that sailing guy. I'm going to give him a shout. So they just used one of my pictures, but that's when I nabbed him and I said – Let's talk. Mm. You know, I want to be involved. It's just, well, send me a proposal. So what that, was the first, uh, what were the images that they wanted or that they liked? For you? Just, you know, so heavy weather, heavy waves, weather. Yep. you know, boats heeled right over and all right. that Dramatic. kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Bang crash stuff, you know. Did you teach yourself all about the settings and, and that sort of thing, the F-stops? and the, Did you teach all that yourself or learn I, it? I did. I, I, I taught myself... Um, Everything. I never went to school, but I must say I did look up certain seminars and I read a lot. And every year in October or early November, there's a big conference 
and um, trade show at the Javits Center. And everybody goes. And in those days, it was Kodak and Fuji and Canon and Nikon. And I went religiously every year. And I got the cards of various people, the Canon guys, the Kodak people. And they they were – I could call them up wow. and say, I'm trying to figure something out. How would I do my settings for X, Y, Z? And they would help me. And that's really how I learned a ton like so that. So you just get tech support from yeah. – the from rats. the various brands, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and and then I shot a lot, you know, and I yeah. always te- kept notes of what I was doing and sort of, you know, shooting film versus digital. Film takes you much longer to learn how to do it, um, you know, because you don't see instant results. Mm. You know, you got to go and shoot for two weeks somewhere in the South Pacific, and then when you get back, you get all your film back, and then you sort of learn from what you did, you know. You, so. you find some surprises in the Oh, film. always. Yeah, yeah even yeah. now. Today, you still get surprises. But, but it's so much easier. You like easier. the transition from film to digital. That was easy for you. It was, but I was very slow in making the transition because the initial Canon DSLR was a 3-megapixel camera, and that wasn't big enough for a cover. Ah, right. So I thought, I'm not going to go out there. And some of the guys were shooting some digital and some film. So the film was for the spreads and the covers, and the digital was for the get it out there quickly. And I thought, I'm not much of a, a sort of a press kind of photographer. I'm much more, you know, the magazines always had their deadlines, and we could meet those with, with film. So I kept shooting film until the point where the digital and the film camera were on a par. Ah, because now that you, you had digital quality here and yep. you had film quality you know, way up here. And then when the, when the cameras caught up, then I switched over. So I was one of the last ones to switch over. Really? Yeah. It was fine. So in all the years between the traditional equipment and now the digital, have you lost a lot of equipment due to weather or conditions? Or um, I have only lost one camera due to gear failure on a sailboat. Ah. A lifeline, a stanchion base broke. Wow. And I was sitting, it was actually on Northern Light. I was 12 meter. Yeah. I was doing a photo shoot for them, sitting on the leeward side, sort of the middle of the boat. And, you know, the boat was heeled over, and I was sitting on my butt with my legs forward and leaning against the stanchion. And with a 16 to 35 millimeter lens shooting up the leeward side, and the boat was beautifully heeled over. And it was exactly the last stanchion. And then the lifeline went down to the deck, so it didn't connect onto the pulpit. Okay, right. And the the base of that stanchion broke, so it went like that. Ooh. And, of course, I went straight in the tide, you know, Ugh. camera and all. And I, I, it was warm. It was August, so it was fine. We were just off Castle Hill. It took them like 15 minutes to pick me up. Three passes. A man overboard on a 12-meter. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so that was really the one and only time that a camera has literally been dunked and has been killed. Right. I had a couple of housings leak on me, waterproof housings, yeah. you know. But that was early days. I mean, I really haven't had that in years. So, How much do you shoot from your own boat? Uh, is that just locally? Or do you um, travel with I that? do travel with it at times. I haven't really put it on the trailer in a while. But the furthest I've gone is New York, uh, down the coast. And the furthest I've gone north and east is all the way up to uh, to MDI, to Mount Desert Island, mm. and shot in Maine. And oh, it's wonderful to take it up there. Yeah. And I've done Boston Harbor, and I've done the islands and you know the vineyard and all that stuff. So, right. Yeah. How much of your photography takes place on expeditions? I wouldn't, not a lot. lot. Um, You know, if I'm lucky, maybe two a year. But I've got a new client now, so we may do more with him. Mm. Last year I did two. This year he's planning, it's always so hard. Is that the Antarctic one? 
Uh, Arctic. Arctic. Yeah, Greenland. Me. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, you think expeditions and you think cold, but I mean, you can go just as easily expedition type thing in the tropics where there's nothing. Right. You know, absolute barren. So. I've noticed on your website and maybe some of your social media, you have a lot of a handful of videos up mm-hmm. and use Vimeo. Yeah, um, which seems to be a higher qual- a high quality service. Right. You, are you tra- are you also integrating video now into your your portfolio? I have been, yeah. and I, I started out with you know a lot of video work, and there was a lot of demand for it. And I must have started shooting video about seven years ago. But really, there's been very little call for it the last two years, so really? I'm slowly tapering out of it. Mm. Yeah, so it's done one of these, you know, a little bit of an upside down, right. you know, and. Um, yeah, there's just more call for stills photography, and occasionally I do a little video still. But now the the DSLR that I use or the mirrorless, they shoot such beautiful video. You know that, you know, I got rid of my dedicated video camera about mm. eight months ago. Oh right. And little by little, I'm getting, but I can always call Canon because yeah. I've got a good connection. So if I need a loaner for right. a project, I can just call up and get the best stuff for a month or three weeks or whatever. So. And the work you do. As an artist, you retain the rights to that image. Always. You do, yeah. The only time that you don't retain the rights are certain British, I would say almost, I don't know so much about Europe, but in England, when you work for, let's say, Yachting World or Seahorse or something, Mm -hmm. they automatically get the rights to all the imagery. So as a result, I have never, ever done an assignment for the British magazines. And does that also... In their eyes, give them a right to reuse it. Oh yeah! Oh, right. oh so. they have all rights. They have all, all rights, rights to it. So, in other words, they could even sell the stuff if they wanted to. Mm. You know, I said no. I don't work like that. So it's safe to assume if I pick up like a local harbor publication and yeah. there's a picket, you're credited in the mass bar, but right. and it says under each photo, it's you're credited. It's that's that's legit. It is legit, yeah. and they they have bought the picture from us, right? Unless sometimes they'll 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 say we'll give you a full page ad for the gallery, then I'll give them a handful of pictures. Have you ever had to chase down unauthorized oh, use? Endless, really? Oh yeah, and the, and the best place to do it is at the airport when you're at the newsstand because oh, right. you have all the sailing magazines stand there, <laughs> and you got an hour and a half to kill. I just flick through all those magazines, and if I see something, I grab my phone, I click a shot, and I continue, and yeah. then I just send them an email and I send them a bill. And you've got a database in your. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, and and, and you it's, know, yeah. I know, you know, who I know, you work ex- with. I know exactly my pictures. I know who they are, and if it's some advertising, you know, company who's advertising in this magazine or in Sale magazine. Very quickly, I can just, you know, they got their email there. Right. So you email them and say, hey, this is Anna Vanderwall, and here's a picture. Yeah. You owe me 10 grand. You see how quickly they answer to you? Yeah. Very quickly. Oh, we'll take it down or right. let's negotiate or something. You and know? I suppose that's, that's sort of a problem with the Internet age with images online, Instagram right. and all these other things. People just think, you know, it's like music. It happened to music. Yeah. You know, let's just grab it and you yeah. have to be really careful. The, the, the thing about grabbing it off you know, Instagram, it's so low res. It is, right. That only can they use it electronically. And a lot of times when I post things, I'll put a little watermark in it or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it doesn't bother me, really. It's not a big... Now, we have, I don't usually integrate props in an audio recording, but I think we can work through this. We have a calendar here that my wife actually got for me ahead of this interview. And this is a, a 2019... It's your calendar. It's what I would consider fairly large. Right. For, but what really struck me most is that 
this is all image. The 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 calendar itself is rather minimalist. Right. Which yes. you're not writing down grandma's birthday on this. No, 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 no. You no. know, this is and the that, I mean if if we had to you know that's a nice touch. About I mean, one eighth of the page of a twenty four inch calendar is just the numbers. And in my mind the numbers are just an excuse to call it a calendar. Right. I mean I would love to just put twelve images up on the wall. But in Europe, they'll run a couple of little the numbers all the way across the bottom of the calendar. Right. Very small. Yeah. But we did that here, and the Americans didn't like that. They said, we need a calendar, you know, so, yeah. or the dates, the grid. And how, how many of these do you print? We probably print about 1,500 to 2,000, mm. something like that. And this was an interesting project because I would say 10 years ago, the printer RPI in Fall River mm -hmm. came to me and said, we want to buy 12 images for a calendar. And I said, that's very nice, but let me throw this back at you. Why don't you, um, why don't we do it like this? We'll do a three-way partnership. You print it, I'll do the images, and I'll find a designer, and we'll do the design. So that then everybody gets, you know, their calendars, whatever, 500 calendars, and nobody spends a penny. But you're guaranteed of getting great images and a good design, yeah. and then I'm guaranteed of getting good printing and paper. So he's also he's in cahoots with a paper company. Right. So and we've been doing this. Oh, I don't know, twelve, thirteen years. Yeah, I remember one year we participated. Um, actually, she was the wife of a guy I went to school with. I think worked for you, and you had an advertising correct uh, scheme in it. Yeah. yeah, we did that for a couple of years. Yeah, and that was fun. Yeah, uh, but this is a much cleaner layout. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I was thinking of doing. And somebody approached me at the yacht club the other night about putting their name here. And I thought, oh, so if the guy ordered like 200 calendars. Like almost a vanity project. Exactly. Yeah. Then we could change the plates and put his logo here. And then we'd have to just figure out yeah. what that would cost. But it's going back to what you were saying. Right. You know? The other prop that we have um, is a 20-odd-year-old, almost 21-year-old uh, issue of Cruising World magazine. And the only reason I brought it is because... There's a story in here. It's well. It's, this particular story is about communication, but we shot it. It was shot on the same day. The first component was sail trim, and the the editors of the magazine or the publishers were looking for someone who had a boat in the water early, and it happened to be my dad. And he sent me with the boat and to make sure everything was running mechanical. And it was a bit of a rush, which was unfortunate. Uh, but we got out on the water, and they raised the sails, and everything was working great. And then the photographer, you, yeah. <laughs> shouted, where are the battens? <laughs> so not a great start to a photo shoot about sail trim. <laughs> Fortunately, the, the focus of, and I don't have that magazine, the focus of that article was about twist in the head sail. Right. So all your shots were directed at that. Right. This particular one, it, it was about communicating. They had some kind of hand signal thing going on here. Gotcha. But I remember the other reason I brought this. There was a funny scene. And it, it kind of gave me a little insight as to how the world might work between them and you. We had to sort ourselves out before we could get to the next shot, whatever, stage ourselves or do whatever. While we were doing that, you were waiting. So as you do, you turned your camera elsewhere and took a few pictures. And when they looked back, hey, look over here. Look at, you know, you're supposed to be working for us. And they got a little crumbly. And I, I kind of thought, well, that's odd. He's... You know, he's waiting for us. Yeah, exactly. You know, why are they getting a bit ornery about yeah, it? But yeah, yeah. it was a, it was, it was an eye opener. I'd never, I was like, I don't know, twenty years old. Then. Okay, <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was yeah. a funny scene. Yeah, nice, nice to see the pictures here in the magazine. 
from so long ago. So on, on a shoot like that, you still on the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're still so in my archive. This is obviously slide film. Right. But, yeah, I have a storage unit out in Middletown, oh. and they're all in boxes over there. And you keep a lot stored digitally as well. That must yes. be a massive database. It is, but in the, in, in the you know, it's so much easier. We actually just replaced the hard drive, and we have 15 terabytes of data, of imagery. And so we started shooting digital in 01, I think it was, or 02, something like that. Wow. So I think if I combine my, my, my analog images and my digital images, we have more than 3 million images. Wow. It's a lot. Yes. But that's 32 years worth of shooting right. almost every day. It's a big database. If you could travel back in time to photograph a historic event or place, where do you think you would like to go? When I was a teenager growing up in South Africa, I spent a lot of time on the fishing boats, commercial fishing boats, and going out and, and for lobstering and, and purse seine and long lining. And I snapped a couple of Instamatic pictures in those days, and I always say, oh, I, would, I wish I'd had a decent camera to capture the mood. And those were all black and colored fishermen. I was the only black kid, white kid on the boat. So there was really cool dynamics going on, and it was in the middle of apartheid mm -hmm. in South Africa. So a lot of white people said, are you crazy? What are you going to see with all those black guys for? And I was like, what's the difference? They're like my father to me, those people. They love it that some white kid wants to come fishing. But the photo opportunities were unbelievable. We'd be sometimes at sea for three or four days. Mm. Rough weather, nice weather. You know, colorful foul weather gear. Albatross circling, sharks around. There was some, so that was one thing that I've often said. I wished I could have stepped back and really shot that right. I see you on social media. Do you maintain, or your office maintains all your social media, and you, you keep up with it? So, um, do you find the, that a good outlet? It's a very good outlet. So the Instagram social media link is maintained by a guy in New York, mm -hmm. a young guy who, who my daughter went to school with, and he posts a new picture every other day or something, and we've ended up building it up to about thirteen or 14,000 followers. Mm. So that's growing nicely. Facebook... I post most of the Facebook things. We have two Facebook accounts, one for the gallery and one for myself. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Instagram, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's, it's, I thought it's, there was a, a very good thing he did recently. Or there was a, a caption, caption this photo, and it was the, the penguins on the... Yes. On, that, that seemed to be have a lot of traction. Right. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. When you get people involved in it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, we regularly get over a thousand likes and we get lots of comments and that's yeah, a good thing. What advice would you give to your younger self if you were just getting started? Um, I think the fact that I specialized in my photography was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I get a lot of young kids who come to me now and say, Oh, I want to become a photographer, and um, it's tough today because, you know, for 600 bucks you can buy a decent digital camera with a nice lens, and you can go out there and shoot away. There's a lot of people doing it. But that doesn't give you the eye. It doesn't give you the eye. And, you know, obviously the people with the eye are battling against these people without the eye. Mm. But the guy without the eye may give it away. He may give you a picture for 50 bucks. You know, so the market's saturated with photographers. So you really got to stand out. If mm. you have an eye, yeah, people will see it, but you've got to keep plodding along right. to let people notice. And I did exactly the same. 
And you I don't just, doctor any of your photos. It's the way you shot it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I do a minimal amount of adjustment. I shoot everything in raw format, and then I tweak them in Lightroom, and I export them in JPEG. But I always say to people, you know, they'll say to me, oh, it's a gray day, and we have to shoot the boat because it's leaving town tomorrow, and we need the ads by the end of the week. And I'm like, yeah, but look at it. They said, but you can fix it. And I always say garbage in, garbage out. Right. You know, you can only doctor it so much. What the sun gives you is that beautiful yellow, warm color. There mm -hmm. is no way you can recreate that. You know, yeah, you can add yellow, but then the whole image looks horribly yellow. And it's so, yeah, there's no substitute. And I imagine for it. different parts of the world or even the country, those warmths change. Absolutely. The environment. The look right. is. And even here with us. In the summertime, if you get a southwesterly sea breeze, some people may say to me, wow, it's really hazy. You must hate mm -hmm. it. I'm like, yeah, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon it's hazy. But you come back at 6.30 in the evening and look how beautifully soft the light is mm -hmm. over under the bridge and when they're racing that whole fleet there, the beer can stuff. Right. So give me that southwesterly smoky hazy versus a crisp northerly. Yeah. It's too contrasty. Um, so there's, there's very yeah. many different little tricks here. You know, going back to video just for a second, I just remembered when when you spoke of light, you did this great video of the trap fishermen over at um, mm -hmm. Sakonet. I thought that video really captured going, them going out early in the morning with the. It was foggy, it was gray, but it it was just very well balanced. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was an and interesting. And you had a partial underwater right. shots. Right. Yeah. That whole video came about when. My contact at Canon, at Explorers of Light, Stephen Gleamer, said to me, don't be left behind, video's coming on strong, you should really get involved with video. And I said, okay, so he sent me a camera to try. And I thought, well, I can tell everybody I, sh I do video, because I, I do stills, but you have to prove it. Mm. But I didn't get an assignment, because I didn't know that I was doing video, so I thought, I'm going to go and shoot fishing, because that's what I love, mm -hmm. commercial fishing. And I went to those guys over in Sakonet, and I went out twice with them, once on the boat and once on my own motorboat, and put that whole thing together. So it was purely a, a passion reel, you know. It was also nice because you got to know the people behind it. Right. For a lot of the folks I talk with, and we sail by the traps, a yeah. lot of people have no idea no. what they do or that there's a nice family involved. Yeah. That yeah, was fantastic. It was. It was a very fun, and I'm still in touch with those guys, you know. Yeah. How much do you shoot from a helicopter? It varies. Um, you know, obviously, it's a fairly expensive thing to do for the client. So, mm. you know, my bread and butter is shooting advertising. Right. So let's say a J-Boat or, or Beneteau or Grand Banks. And then I'll say to them, you know, okay, so here's my day rate. And what do you want to add to that? Do you want to do helicopter? Do you want to do chase boat? Do you want to do interiors? And it's just another light line item. I mean, I may sometimes fly once or twice or three times a month in the summer. Mm -hmm. Or not, not at all. It's all over the map. Did you fly for the Volvo when it was here? I did not. No. Um, I ended up doing a workshop. Oh. Yeah. Because... Well, that's a good segue into... I was going to ask you about your workshop. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, that that race came here in May, and by, like, February and March, I was being inundated by calls. People said, are you doing a workshop? Can we come with you? Have you got the same powerboat again? And I said to my wife, Tenley, and I said... We should just do a workshop mm. because those all those syndicates have their own photographer. Mm -hmm. They travel with the fleet around the world. Volvo has their own photographers from Sweden. Us guys out here on this side of the pond, we don't even get involved at all. There's no money in it. Right. And I thought, I'm going to do a workshop. And I ended up, I was going to do just the import race. But then that sold out so quickly that we said, let's just do the start as well. So we had two full boats 
for two sessions. And, and how many clients is that? Fifteen. Fifteen per Fifteen photographers yeah. per boat. And that's perfect. And then I just walk around and I teach and I get gear from Canon that everybody can try, cameras and lenses. But do they bring their own equipment? They do. Yeah. But let's say you get an icon guy who says, well, I hear there's a nice 5D Mark IV and I'd love to try that. Um, and then I'm able to say, here you go. Mm. Just put your card in the Canon and there's a 70 to 200 or a 500. Go shoot with it. So Canon ships a massive box of gear, and that way we're able to spread the gospel yeah. <laughs> according to Canon. Did you know? the photographer fall into a category of I'm a, a Nikon guy or a, a yeah. Canon? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. And for me to teach Canon, of course, is easy because I know the menus, I know the cameras, and they're all the same. But if you, as a Nikon guy, come to me and say, oh, how do I change the ISO or how do I change certain menus? I'm like, oops, okay, hold yeah. on. Do you have your book with you? Right. So I wish I could say only Canon photographers should come, but then right. I sort of cut, you, cut my nose off. You know. Yeah. How much time do you spend in your studio when you're not shooting? Oh, the bulk. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, it's not, you know, a, the studio is really a wrong word because it's a gallery and then oh, it's okay, really sorry, my gallery. office. Right. No, that's fine. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I, there I do my editing work and I do my proposals and my estimates and, but really as little as possible because I hate being in there. I love oh, being on the water. Right. You know, so. In your early days, I, I read that you wanted to be outside. Oh, yeah. Not inside right and that's what motivated you yeah to go into shooting and say have you ever used a gopro or do you see oh a back? lot yeah you do oh, oh yeah right. i have three or four of them and they're a wonderful little tool to let's say i'm doing a piece for canon to show um how i'm, how I'm tackling a certain project and i can put the gopro on my head mm-hmm. i can put the gopro on the camera I can put the GoPro on the rail, on the bow, whatever. So when I'm shooting away, the GoPro is way on the bow of my power boat looking aft, you know, and it catches the whole scene. Or if I'm doing a video and I can put it on one of the sailboats and I can put it on a masthead. So they're, they're very good little tools. How much before GoPros and drones and things of that nature, how much did you put yourself at risk going up these rigs and out these poles? And, yeah. Yeah. I still do. You do? Yeah, there's still certain times when you want to get up there and get out there. Yeah. And, you know, there's certain perspectives that you can't get with a drone or, or with a GoPro. But, yeah, I mean, and I was younger. I was fitter. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not out of shape now. But uh, you just get a little more scared, you know, to go up a rig of 200 feet. I mean, that's high. Has any owner or skipper prevented you from wanting to do that? Or are they pretty... No, they, they say, well, if you want to go up, you can go up. But <laughs> one thing that... You're talking about owners that stopped me doing something. In the round the world race, I said to the owner, I want to take the film camera, the movie camera, to the masthead. And he mm-hmm. says, no, don't. Because if you get banged around up there or you drop it, then we don't have anything. So it was too bad. So he's more worried about the film. <laughs> oh, he was more worried about the camera than me. <laughs> you know, I had to go up in any case to do my work on the halyards or whatever, right. maintenance. But, um, yeah, so we missed out on that, I think. Oh, well. Is there any place or places in the world that you've not fought, photographed but would like to or plan to? Greenland was on my list, my bucket list for many years. And you just did it? Just did it in August. And I tell you something, it did not disappoint. Really? So it was just so exciting and so beautiful. I was there for two weeks shooting for a private boat, doing an expedition, that I thought I'm going to do a workshop there. So um, that's, you know, I'm going to go there next August on my own uh, on my own time and... and I'm going with a bunch of photographers. So if you're interested, give me a shout. All right. Yeah. Come sailing. Come and photograph Greenland. When you were younger and you went on the boats as crew, 
how much did you contribute to the crew or to the performance of the boat versus the photography? Was the photography aside or was that the main focus and then you, you were expected to really pull your own weight? In the early days, it was, it was 90% sailing and mm -hmm. 10% photography. And even on some projects, it was 100% sailing. And then if I was off watch, I was able to go and do a little shooting. But the more I became experienced and people got to know me, I was able, they would say to me, well, listen, shoot and drive and trim and do whatever you can. But if there's something amazing going on you want to shoot, then just give your job on deck to somebody else and grab your camera. And that's how it worked in the Around the World race. Right. I was the only one who was allowed to... Um, sort of shoot on my watch if I was driving and suddenly the sun came out and the breeze kicked up yeah. and we started surfing I could say to somebody you know hey come drive I'm going to go and shoot I was the only one that was allowed to do that what opportunities or directions do you see your role in photography taking how do you see my, it playing out for myself yeah for yourself I've started doing more teaching and more workshops and of course Canon loves that um, again spreading the gospel and you know I've been shooting for 32 years and and I enjoy teaching. It's really nice to give back right. and to get young and old, rich and poor, mm. everybody who comes to my workshops or even kids from college who want to interview me about what I've done and they do a thesis or something about whatever it may be. Um, I, I, I enjoy talking about it and teaching. And there are now, on the one hand, the digital photography uh, you know, there's so many people out there with cameras that maybe that's hurt my business a little. Mm -hmm as far as a photographer goes, but I've picked up the slack uh, to teach these people. Because, you know, somebody will buy a $600, $700 Canon or camera or digital camera or whatever it is, but they don't know how to use it. Mm. So in the summer, I do three or four workshops on the water. And in the winter, I do a couple of sessions in the classroom in Jamestown teaching purely S-stop, shutter speed, and ISO. And then the next Tuesday night, we do a whole workflow thing about how you save the images, renumber them, manipulate them, and, and just the whole computer side of the photography. So teaching has become a big part of that for me. When you have a student that walks into your class with the, you have the money to buy the high-end camera, but perhaps not the technical skills to use it yet, you find those aha moments where you show them something and then suddenly the, the light is shed, or is it a... Is it a bigger curve for them? Are these, are these devices more complicated than they... You know, it's all over the map. I oh, mean, really? I'll have 20 people sitting in a classroom, you know, in the wintertime. I'm doing two of these now in two weeks' time in Jamestown. And, you know, the age varies from 25 years old to 65 years old. Mm. And if you get somebody that's 65 years old and not computer savvy, it's a challenge for them to figure it all out, whereas a young 25-year-old, it's much easier. But I, I try and really spend time with everybody and explain. You know, the actual camera settings of the f-stop, shutter speed, and ISO, everybody pretty much gets that. Right. And then it comes down to the eye, like you said, who can really compose a nice shot and do that stuff. But when it comes to the computer end of things, where you've got to download and renumber and, and do folder numbers and names... Some people battle with that, and I really have to work at that. But it's mm. such an important part of photography, you know. In your 32-plus years of traveling and, and photography, the environment and the changes in the environment are a lot on a lot of people's minds. Have you, are you seeing it now? When you look back at old pictures, do you see our effects on the environment, or is it... Uh, you know, I, I think, and somebody asked me that just yesterday as well, have you seen changes in the environment... Um, I have, but then 
I, I gave a lady an example yesterday when I was sailing in Patagonia. 10 or 15 years ago, you'd look at a chart, and it showed you where the glacier started in, in the year 1902, for mm-hmm. instance. So you come up to that point on the chart, and obviously there's no ice there. So then you sail another 10 miles down the road, and then suddenly you come across the glacier, and it's there. And when we were in Greenland, I spoke to people, and I said, I don't see such huge changes here there's a lot of glacial ice the glaciers are here everything is work and they say yeah the difference is that the change that we've seen in the last hundred years has now happened in the last 10 years just as much wow. so that it's speeding up right. and that's that's the big change but for us who just come there for two weeks we don't it's know very, we yeah. don't know so you got to talk to people about that but i do i must say just to also answer your question there when it comes to looking at what's floating in the ocean now you see crap in the water everywhere mm-hmm. You know, plastic bags and some of the beaches in the Bahamas, the Caribbean or in the South Pacific, if you're on the on the windward side of an mm. island, oh, my goodness, it's knee-deep in plastic. Really? Oh, it's yeah. really bad. And that plastic's come all the way across. And I'm not talking about microscopic little pieces. I'm talking about plastic jugs and, you know, milk crates and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah a lot, a really a lot. Yeah, I remember my first, the first offshore trip I ever took, I think it was 1989, I sailed to Bermuda, Yeah. and I was on watch, and I heard these things hitting the hull, and I alerted the, the skipper, because I didn't know anything, Yeah. and he came up, and he made a quick assessment, and he said, okay, good, and he tuned the radar, and he said, we're coming up on a cruise ship, <laughs> or there was a cruise ship that had crossed our path, and this was... I. It said 89, but I think it was prior to some rule that said they couldn't dump certain things. And they let anything go but maybe butt plastic. Mm. But there was trash. It was garbage and food. and Right. Yeah, it was really sad. Yeah, that's bad news, eh? Crazy. Who's your favorite waterfront character around here? Well, the most photogenic character was Louis Jagshitz. Oh, yeah. Louis the Lobsterman. And I was lucky enough to go out one day with him on his crabbing boat and go and shoot shoot over at Coasters Harbor and I pitched Patagonia on this because I shoot for Patagonia years ago and I said ah there's this character here and I sent him a few pictures and I said great what do you want I said let's give him a nice bright red jacket Mm. so I went to him in the fall went to his house he lived down on Harrison somewhere and you know went to his house and I said here's a jacket Louis trash it this winter when you're fishing and then in the spring when we go and shoot it'll look all weathered he says okay deal well i arrive in the spring i said where's the jacket he pulled it out of the plastic bag it is still perfectly clean he hasn't worn it at all <laughs> any case so we went out and we, we spent some the day shooting and crabbing and ah and and i think my most important and most and the most iconic shot i have of him is on his boat, from my boat, and there's a seagull on the bow, and he's wearing the red jacket, and he's looking at, towards the seagull like he's talking to the seagull. Right. And we sold that in the gallery. So that straight away comes to mind as my sort of, that that is Newport. But did, he's gone. Did Patagonia ever use that image? They ran it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been in their catalog. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what's the best way for folks to learn more about what you do? Is it your website? I would say so. You know, I think my website, which is vanderwall.com, it's an extensive website with a large section of videos, which is then connected to Vimeo. I've done a TED Talk, and that you can find on the YouTube connection. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done a piece on PBS, and we're actually just in the middle of doing another piece with PBS right now about the whole rebuild of my boat. 
Oh, I saw a teaser for PBS on YouTube, but I right. don't know what it was there for. Right, that yeah. was a half-hour piece they did just about me and my photography. Oh, okay. And now we're working on a piece for PBS about um, my whole rebuild of my boat. And when will that be out? I would imagine um, next winter, okay. I think. We're just in the middle of you know, getting all that put together and we'll shoot some sailing stuff in the spring and in the summertime. But yeah, the website's definitely got a lot of good links uh, to the gallery and um, a lot of information about what I've done in the past and how you can sign up for our workshops if you're into photography and you want to learn something, you can come on the water with us or you can also come into the workshop or into a classroom in the winter and learn that's there as well. That's a few weeks. Though. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's okay. coming right up. And what the So that's the on-land workshop. Correct. The, it's a classroom. The yeah. classroom. On the water takes place. Um, when do you do those? So we'll probably do one as soon as June, and mm-hmm. then we maybe do three or four. So, And some of the things we do is, let's say we'll go out on a Tuesday evening, leave mm-hmm. at 4.30 or 5 o'clock, and go and shoot a bit of the shields. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go and shoot maybe Clingstone or the bridge or some one of the schooners sailing out on the bay and come in and shoot the boats at anchor off Ida Lewis. And we just do a whole soup to nuts thing. And then we may, um, we're also going to do the 12 meter world championships. Right. That's coming up. Yeah. So we'll have at least one or two days where you can come out and shoot that regatta with us. We'll do the candy store cup. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's all kinds of, there's the S boat 100th. Is that a regatta? Uh, No, the S boat class is having their 100th coming up this year. Okay. Great. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was great being here and uh, look forward to hearing more about who you have on your show. Yeah.